Greetings to those who watch below. It's Friday, which means it's time for another stop on our paranormal tour of the US. And this week, we're in the final resting place of one of the gothic masters of fiction, Edgar Allan Poe, Maryland. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership you can check out using the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Christina Groves, Chris BLK Chris, Canopsia, Tegan S, Tasos Karamaris, LT Punisher 666, and Wicked Witch. You can further support the channel by subscribing and hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Now Do You Believe In Us by Ndestructible55 I was raised in a Christian home. My parents assured my brother and I that ghosts weren't real, that they were demons who played tricks on us to keep us from believing in God. I never experienced anything paranormal as a child. As I grew older, it was almost as if the spirit world did not exist to me. Poltergeists, demons, ghosts, those things only existed on the big screen. It was Halloween 2009, and I really wanted to impress my co-worker Megan. She said she wanted to go somewhere that was actually haunted, but she also wanted to go camping. I did a Google search for Haunted Camping Maryland. What I found was a weekend I will never forget. Point Lookout State Park is home to one of the most haunted lighthouses in the country. The background check I did on the Library of Congress's website exposed a dark personality of the southernmost peninsula of Maryland. Before the park was a campsite with a nature trail, it was home to over 20,000 prisoners of war during the Civil War, 4,000 of whom died from the fever, starvation or worse. Before that, Point Lookout was home to a colony of settlers who were slaughtered by natives during the night. Megan and I were going to spend a night in America's most haunted campground. We were joined by our friends David and Crystal. I had made reservations for Site 137 after speaking with a park ranger. I asked him, which site would you not want to stay the entire night at? After we had set up our tent, got a fire going and had a few drinks, all of us decided that it just wouldn't be Halloween without a walk through the woods at night. We had all read stories about the place, eyewitness encounters from campers and local residents. Each one of us hoped to experience some kind of terrifying event that night. Being a fan of the TV show Ghost Hunters, I decided to bring a digital voice recorder in an attempt to capture some EVPs. For some reason, I also brought a small pair of binoculars that I wore on a string around my neck. We took off from our campsite around 11pm. Being the only sober one in the group, I led the way. We walked down the small road that circles the campground called the D-Ring. It was quiet, and the air was filled with smoke from nearby campfires. It wasn't easy, trying to talk to ghosts while my drunk friends giggled and joked in the back of our formation. I started asking questions to provoke some kind of response, as I had seen done on TV. Who are you? How did you die? What are you doing here? Though my friends may have thought of me as an idiot, I know they wanted to see something scary as much as I did. 
everyone scanned the woods for movement, expecting something to jump out at us. We made it halfway around the D-ring when I stopped dead in my tracks in the middle of the road. Megan asked what was wrong. I told her I had a good feeling to turn back, as if something didn't want us to walk any further. Megan and Crystal weren't the least bit frightened and seemed ballsy, but David and I, the man, were terrified. Crystal suggested that I was just paranoid and that we should keep going. I always go with what my gut tells me, but this time I ignored it. The binoculars around my neck bounced slightly when I walked, which started to bug me, so I held them in my hand, the strings still around my neck. Megan and I were talking about the theory behind EVPs when I said, You just gotta keep an open mind. Who knows, you might even make a friend. Instantly, my binoculars were snatched from my hand, spun around in front of my face for a second, then fell. I froze in shock, then panicked. My friends looked at me like I was crazy. They didn't see a thing. Shaking like a leaf, I explained what had just happened. We all agreed to go back to our tent. Later, I analysed the tape. After my initial contact with that thing, I told it, If you want to talk, all you have to do is say something. I'm listening. Please don't touch me again or any of my gear. An audible voice can be heard on the tape responding, I won't. Later that night, Megan and Crystal wandered off to get some more wood for the fire. They'd been gone for about an hour, for something that should have taken 15 minutes. David wanted to go find them. I didn't want to go back out there after the binoculars incident, but I didn't want my army buddies to think I was a wuss. David and I started off on the same path we had before, the D-ring. We caught up with Megan and Crystal halfway, the same place where I was attacked before. They were on the other side of a line of trees and were walking around to us, I had been telling David how you shouldn't fear the dead, you should fear the living, because only real people can hurt you. I said, I think I'd be more afraid of getting killed by a Taliban than getting scared by a ghost. As soon as I said that, I felt my upper body vibrate and felt something pass through me, as it breathed heavily into both my ears with an asthmatic tone of voice. I went through all the emotions again, panic, fear, excitement. But then, I found a new feeling. Adrenaline. The pure adrenaline from that single experience drove me to provoke the thing again. I started yelling into the trees. You want a piece of me? Come on, hit me with your best shot. I heard the spirit walk off into the forest. My friends looked at me like I was insane. David said, Dude, don't do that. You're going to make it mad. I found it difficult to sleep that night. I analysed in my mind every sound I heard outside our tent. I was scared. But looking back now, I remember the emotion I felt when I was confronted by what I now believe to have been a poltergeist. Most people feel sad around a ghost, depressed or sometimes angry. I felt like it just wanted me to know that it existed, as if to say, now do you believe in us? I've never had any experience like that in my life and I've never felt more alive. The feeling is awesome, knowing you're out there in the middle of so much haunted history. My story is one of hundreds, maybe thousands of people, 
who have witnessed something paranormal at Point Lookout State Park. All I know is, this experience will make me more prepared for the next time I visit. The Goat Man Since the 1950s, the citizens of Maryland have told legends about the Goat Man. This creature is described as a half-goat, half-human cryptid that is extremely aggressive and has been known to kill people who trespass into its domain. The legend of this creature states that cars parked on non-lit or poorly lit back roads are the most vulnerable to the anger and fury of the goatman. His weapon of choice is reported to be an axe that he swings with the strength of two grown men, easily able to penetrate the thin car doors and roofs of preoccupied parked teenagers. When asked about where the goatman came from, the locals will tell the tale about how the creature was once a mad scientist who worked at the Beltsville Agricultural Research Centre. The scientist was experimenting on combining human and goat DNA when a lab accident occurred, which resulted in tragedy. The scientist became the victim of his own experiment and turned into the monster he was trying to create. He now roams the backwoods, looking to take out his anger on anyone he encounters that was foolish enough to enter his woods. In the September of 1976, the staff of Woodmore Country Club noticed a beast outside of the club in Woodmore, Maryland. One of the staff members tried to cast him away from the club when he observed that the creature was more than just a beast. The sturdy animal was instead a goat man. The staff claimed that there were bones scattered all around the beast. They then ran into a safe room of the club, waiting for the Goatman to go away. But Maryland is not the only state to tell tales about the Goatman. The legend is also told in Kentucky, Texas, Florida, Michigan, Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana and Wisconsin. He is known by many different names, the Pope Lake Monster and the Lake Worth Monster being among the most well known. He stalks different locations, bridges, abandoned buildings and areas around lakes. But reports of his anger and his drive for blood are always the same. No matter what Goatman you encounter, you can always be rest assured that he will be angry and is best to be avoided at all times. The Uninvited Guest This story took place on July 7th, 2004. I was at my mother's house in Aberdeen, Maryland. It was summer, and I was living at home after my freshman year at college in New Orleans. I should have stayed in New Orleans and lived at my new apartment, but no, I decided coming home and working for my father for a few months would serve me best. Stupid decision. That morning, I got into a bit of an argument with a girl I was interested in, and I was feeling really low and angry right off the bat. On top of that, I ventured down to Baltimore City to attend the funeral viewing of one of my friend's fathers. I'd been to several funerals, so no big deal. I hung around with some friends afterwards at a house in Ellicott City before I made the eventual drive back up to Aberdeen at around midnight. Now at this time, I'd lived in my mum's house since 2002, which was two years after my parents separated. Nothing strange had ever happened, 
I'd heard little things about how the previous owners were old people who had died, but nothing too frightening. I'd seen ghosts previous to this story. I didn't like them, but I never got the feeling my mum's house had any activity going on, let alone in my bedroom. I came home and went to bed around 1am that evening. Yeah, I guess I'd had a shitty day, but nothing I hadn't been through before. So as I'm lying there trying to fall asleep, I start to hear my bedroom door creak open. This has happened before, so I ignored it. Then it keeps creaking, and creaking, and creaking. Now I'm lying on top of my blankets, feeling the ceiling fan blow on my legs as it occurs to me. Man, that creaking isn't stopping. Just then, I stopped feeling the wind from the ceiling fan on my leg. Then that thought crosses my mind. Hmm, that feels weird. Just then, a jolt of bad, bad feelings shoots up my back, and I instantly pull my blanket over my head. I guess that's where the term spine tingling came from. It was a horrible feeling of shock, fright and nervousness that hit me in the spine, stomach area all at once. So in that two to three second time span that I'm under the covers I think, man, if I take these covers off I'm gonna see something. But at the same time I thought, I really want to get out of my room right now. So I threw my blanket off and sure enough, my bedroom door was halfway open and the head and shoulders of a figure was gliding across my bedroom. Now, it's a small room. I was in my bed, and the thing was probably three to four foot away in the space between my bed and desk. I couldn't tell if it was a man or a lady. It was just a very vague, grey, purpley, misty outline of a head and shoulders moving through the room. I screamed at the top of my lungs and ran right out of the door, down the stairs and into the den, where my brother was still awake and on the phone. I saw it! I saw it! I saw it! I said to my brother, and he of course ignored my rantings. It completely ruined the night. I couldn't fall asleep and went to work the next day without any rest. Ever since then, I've slept on the couch in the den. I rarely ever go upstairs. Remember, I have a whole bedroom upstairs, and it's been over four years since I've slept in it. As a case in point, Christmas Eve of that year, I was home while everyone else was gone to midnight mass. I was upstairs brushing my teeth. I didn't want to be there, so when I was done, I hurried down the hallway to the stairwell. Before I got that far, all the hallway lights flicked on by themselves. I spent the rest of the evening sitting in the car, not going back into the house until somebody came home. Rest assured, when that thing came into my room, it was the most frightening experience of my life, hands down. Words cannot explain it. And there's nothing spiritual about it. I don't care what spirits are in my parents' house and why they would be there. Whenever I visit, I sleep on the couch. Mol Dyer Poor Mol Dyer. She died horribly in the early years of Maryland's history, freezing to death in a brutal winter storm. She was no more a witch than those unfortunate souls who were crushed to death by rocks in the Salem witch hunt insanity of the early 17th century in Massachusetts. 
but fear is a terrible thing. A tragic victim of superstition, ignorance and vigilante justice, the tale of Maldire is one of Southern Maryland's most enduring legends. Just south of Leonardtown, a stream meanders under Route 5, with hills to its west and modern homes scattered around it. This is the area that held the colonial home of Maldire, whose story first came to light in the late 19th century in the paper The St. Mary's Beacon. The author of the piece, Joseph F. Morgan, noted that the story was already a hundred years old. He figured the woman's home must have been about a mile south of the old County Alms House, a 19th century relief system providing food and shelter for the county's homeless. This building stood, for geographical reference, in the woods behind the current St. Mary's County Technical Centre and Leonard Town High School. Moldaya, described in Morgan's article as an old hag, lived in a ramshackle home. She was shunned by the locals, who feared her tall stride and baneful gaze. Her history no one knew, Morgan wrote, but there were stories told of her in another day and another country where her lot was different and where all that was refined and beautiful waited on her hand and foot. Some great sorrow, which crushed hope and love out of her young life, came upon her. The destitute woman roamed the land during summer months, gathering plants from the woodland and begging a pittance from fearful neighbours who dared not deny her requests. The crux of the legend followed a bitter storm of plummeting temperatures, a winter blizzard of such fury that cattle and sheep froze in the fields. To the townspeople, stricken and desperate, the witch in the woods was at the heart of their ills, and they determined they'd had enough. After much deliberation, they lit torches, surrounded her shack, and set fire to her humble dwelling. The terrified woman fled to the surrounding woodland, and the townspeople returned to their homes, satisfied that they had ridden themselves of the person responsible for their troubles. Nothing more was heard from Moldire for several days, until a young boy, searching for lost cattle in the snow, came across her frozen body kneeling on a rock, one arm stretched to the heavens as if cursing her tormentors. Families living in the area reported that fields planted in the years after her passing remained uncharacteristically barren. Rumours of her ghost wandering through the land where her death occurred began surfacing in later years. Always the legends insisted her spirit could be seen on the coldest night of winter. In the early 1970s, Philip Love, a St. Mary's County resident and writer for the Washington Star, became interested in the legend and tracked down old-timers in the area who knew where the rock Moldire died upon still sat in the woods. The imprint of her hand and knees was said to be embedded in the stone. Love had the rock relocated to the old colonial jail in front of the courthouse in Leonardtown. For many years, the home of the St. Mary's County Historical Society, the jail became the rock's final resting place. The stone remains as one of the county's most curious historical relics. Haunted Armory by R. Kane. This is my ghost story. It concerns an experience I had with two other soldiers in a National Guard armory in Maryland. By way of background, I believe in the possibility of the supernatural, 
but I am inherently sceptical of supernatural explanations. Nonetheless, I have never found an explanation to what happened that night. At the time, I was in officer training, and my unit had recently located to a new armoury. Arriving at drill one weekend, the unit was buzzing with talk of the armoury being haunted. Some of the NCOs were outright nervous. For example, one pointed to a paper pin to a wall that kept fluttering. I tried to be polite as I pointed out that it was over an air register. Overhearing one particularly high-strung NCO, I said, Nonsense, there are no ghosts here. He retorted, Why don't you sleep in the basement tonight, then? That's not necessary, is it? I mean, it's just dark and grubby down there. The ghosts could be anywhere in the armory, right? I replied somewhat lamely. The NCOs chuckled at me, thinking that my reluctance was fear, as opposed to my concern for overall grubbiness. Maybe they were a little right, but I wasn't going to cave in to silly ghost stories. So, I ultimately agreed to stay down in the basement that night, but with the proviso that two of my friends stay with me. In hindsight, it was probably selfish to rope them into my mess, but they didn't seem to mind. During the day and into the evening, my unit engaged in close quarters combat training, which entails clearing rooms at close range. For those unfamiliar, think about what SWAT teams do. The CQC training area was the basement, and there was a pretty simple layout to the basement area. Bear with me, as the layout is important to the story. There was one staircase leading down from the main drill floor that opened into a long hallway, about a hundred feet, I suppose. On one side of the hallway were a series of rooms, with lockers and the kind of junk only National Guard units can accumulate and keep. The first room by the stairway was particularly large. To help with the training, tables were turned on their sides to make barriers and barricades to be defended by opposing forces. Late at night, around 10 or 11pm, the CQC training was finished. It went so late because they wanted to do room clearing with night vision devices. I hadn't been particularly looking forward to this, and figured that it all had been forgotten in the day's excitement. I hummed as I nonchalantly unrolled my sleeping roll on the drill floor. The NCO I had had the exchange with earlier hadn't forgotten apparently, as the rascal came strolling over. The sleeping bag would be easier to get in the basement rolled up, don't you think? Eh? Oh, yeah. I was just airing it out. Think I put it away wet or something, it smells funny. I mumbled and trailed off. Rats. I'd been outed. There was no way to avoid the basement, and I reluctantly grabbed my two friends, who deservedly made fun of me. We went down the steps and set up in the third room down the hallway, two doors from the large room. It was an austere bivouac, with cots, sleeping bags, and a chem light cracked for light. It gave off an unearthly green glow. It seemed like a poor light choice, but it was better than the alternative of absolute darkness. It took some time, but we each drifted off into an uneasy sleep. A little while later, maybe around 12.30, I and one of my buddies were woken up by a banging coming from the large room. It sounded like someone was punching the old rusted lockers in there. I immediately assumed 
that I was the victim of a prank, and that the whole armory would be awake from the racket soon. No one came down the stairs to investigate, and I wasn't about to leave the safety provided by my sleeping bag, which gave the protection of an Abrams tank so far as I was concerned. Not wanting to wake my buddies, but curious to see if they were up, I whispered, Bob, John, you guys up? Bob whispered back, I hate you. Because you're in a smelly basement, or because you heard that? Both. So I wasn't the only one that heard it. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but I convinced myself that someone had hid down there to make a point, and I drifted back to an uneasy sleep. About an hour later, around 1am, I awoke to a feeling of tension. I rolled over to face the open door frame and could see the part of the hallway immediately in front of the door. The chem light was still bright, and everything was visible in a green glow. Just as I thought nothing was going to happen, I heard a deliberate boot step start down the hallway. I'd heard no one come down the stairway, but I was expecting to see one of my dishevelled NCOs ambling down the hallway for a laugh. The boot steps were slow and regular, but they were coming closer. He would have to walk past my door, and then I would have the devil. The steps were closer, and then it walked past the door and down the hall, growing fainter. That simply wasn't possible. As it got to the end of the hall, it stopped for a moment, and then I heard it coming closer again. I squinted and focused on the doorframe as I have seldom focused on anything in my life. Step, 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 getting closer. Step, 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 it's almost here. And again, whatever it was passed the door unseen. I should have got up to investigate. I know it. I just simply couldn't move. In pure exhaustion, I eventually went back to sleep. A few hours later, I woke up again. Same drill. Step, step, step. Never saw anyone. By the time sunrise came at around 5.30, I was never so glad to wake up early. I eagerly started rolling my kit, humming again. John said, Well, what do you think? With a shy smile. There's some strange stuff happening, but I don't know. With that, a piece of cardboard that had been duct tape over the window fell off. It almost seemed like it was violently torn away. It had been put up the night before to maximise the darkness for the night vision devices, and it stayed up all night. You know, the rising sun could have warmed the tape and made it fall off. Both my buddies stared blankly at me. What? Just saying it could be... Shut up. More staring. All right, whatever. To this day, I don't know what happened in that basement. The lockers, the steps, the cardboard. Each thing individually could be chalked up to the random odd happenings in old buildings. Taken together, it makes me wonder. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you're looking for more paranormal tales from the US states, make sure to check out the playlist that will come up near the end of the video. So, until next time, sleep tight.